Greetings. I'm Brother John, welcoming all our new listeners, returning listeners, and followers to this week's study podcast. How do I know I am saved? Before we start, my voice is still not 100% due to my recovery still from being sick. I apologize for any buzzing or scratchy sounds in my voice. So without further ado, many people who get saved eventually run into doubt. They doubt whether they are really going to heaven. They even doubt their own salvation. As they grow, they can be exposed to deceptive and condemning teachings that stir up a sense of unworthiness. That unworthiness has a great tendency to fester and grow until we no longer are fully convinced of our salvation and going to heaven. Does the Bible say anything about our salvation being a once-and-for-all situation? So many of the things the Bible says people go to hell for can be found still unresolved in one's own life. This contradicts what we were told when we were converted to Christ. The underlying paradox is the source of our uncertainty. If we do not solve this paradox, we will most always be wondering and living in fearful uncertainty. This greatly limits us in our witness and our God-given ministry of any kind at any level. We cannot, in full confidence, do the works we were created to do in partnership with God. The unsaved we witness to pick up on our own uncertainty, especially if we cannot resolve it in such a way We do not carry it with us into every place and situation we find ourselves. That uncertainty poisons the work of God we are trying to do. This is, by and large, why we fail more than we succeed in our own efforts to bring the kingdom of God to a fallen world, a world crying out for something more. This week, we will see that we can trust in the fact we are saved. We can also trust in the fact we are going to heaven. What does Scripture say about the certainty of salvation and going to heaven? God's Word to the Nations translation reads, But now Christ has brought you back to God by dying in His physical body. He did this so that you could come into God's presence without sin, fault, or blame. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Why would Christ go to all that effort if our salvation in Him would be uncertain still? Let's see this verse in context in the same translation. Once you were separated from God, the evil things you did showed your hostile attitude. But now Christ has brought you back to God by dying in his physical body. He did this so that you could come into God's presence without sin, fault, or blame. 
This is on the condition that you continue in faith without being moved from the solid foundation of the hope that the good news contains. You've heard this good news, of which I, Paul, became a servant. It has been spread throughout all creation under heaven. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Notice how verse 21 opens. Once you were separated from God. The next sentence in verse 21 tells us what caused that separation. The evil things you did showed your hostile attitude. Is not sin the umbrella word for evil, evil acts, spiritual rebellion, spiritual defiance, desiring the life of the flesh more than a life in the Holy Spirit? Do these somehow not qualify as evil things in Colossians? Of course not. They are evil things, just as Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 speaks. Look now at verse 22. But now Christ has brought you back to God by dying in his physical body. He did this so that you could come into God's presence without sin, fault, or blame. That is a very strong statement. Christ brought us back from our separation from God, a life of sin and death, by taking our consequences on himself, buying us, ransoming us, by paying our price so we could come into the presence of God without sin, without fault, or without blame. Why would it be that our salvation could ever come into question under such circumstances? Inappropriate teaching out of Scripture similarly worded like verse 23 here is the most common cause. Look at the first sentence in verse 23. This is on the condition that you continue in faith without being moved from the solid foundation of the hope that the good news contains. That does have an ominous sound to it, and at first read or glance, can cause uncertainty in the heart and mind of a believer. However, what makes this conditional is the fact that even after we are saved in Christ's work on the cross, it is still a day-by-day walking out of our faith through the free will choice God has given us. We can choose to live out our new life in Christ or walk away from it any time we choose. So, if one walks away from their life in Christ, have they really lost their salvation in going to heaven? Verse 23 would seem to answer that question for us with a yes. The parable of the sower and the seed would also seem to reinforce a yes answer as well. Let's look at some commentary on verse 23 for greater understanding. In the belief of the gospel and in holy living, if this were done, they would be presented unblameable before God. If not, they would not be. The meaning is, that it will be impossible to be saved unless we continue 
to lead lives becoming the gospel. Barnes, New Testament Notes If this is all you read, it creates a very ominous view of our salvation being doubtful and uncertain. Many pastors, preachers, and teachers tend to use scare tactics in their messages to scare the listener. Some do this deliberately out of willful intent and others out of ignorance. All this means, plain and simple, it is our choice to be saved. It is also our choice to live, as best we can, a life worthy of keeping that salvation. It is our choice, period. It also brings up the point of how much Scripture speaks of our salvation like it is a future event. This tends to remove the notion we are saved now. This causes confusion and doubt. Left to fester like an open wound, it worsens and causes doubt and fear. Surprisingly to some, it is little understood that we are both saved now and yet we are not fully saved until our salvation is completed in the future. It is very common with Bible prophecy from both the Old and New Testaments that the language is both spoken and written in a form of such profound certainty it is as if it has already happened. Our salvation is spoken of the same way. It is amazing how murky and cloudy the subject of knowing one is saved and going to heaven is, just in Scripture alone. Can you see how a pastor, preacher, or teacher can craftfully manipulate this kind of teaching to scare their congregates? There is enough uncertainty found in Scripture without clever manipulation. Verse 23 in Colossians chapter 1 tells us what we need to do to live the Christian life with certainty. Let's read this verse again. This is on the condition that you continue in faith without being moved from the solid foundation of the hope that the good news contains. You've heard the good news of which I, Paul, became a servant. It has been spread throughout all creation under heaven. Let us break down this verse section by section. This is on the condition you continue in faith. This tells us our uncertainty can come from a lack of understanding faith, how faith works, how we work out our faith by increasing our knowledge and understanding of faith, growing to fully understand its impressive power in our life. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see, for by it, the people of old received God's commendation. By faith, we understand that the worlds were set in order at God's command, so that the visible has its origin in the invisible. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Faith, therefore, is the substance of things unseen, as some translations and paraphrases translate it. Did not Jesus say, when he healed several people, Your faith has made you well? 
in every case before the person was healed, they possessed faith even in a mere simple thought. Belief works hand in hand with faith. They are different sides of the same coin. To analogize, the person in question believed if, for instance, she thought, if I only touch his clothes, I'll get well. Matthew chapter 9, verse 21. This too is called faith believing. Faith and belief walking hand in hand. In context, then a woman came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his clothes. She had been suffering from chronic bleeding for 12 years. She thought, if I only touch his clothes, I'll get well. When Jesus turned and saw her, he said, Cheer up, daughter. Your faith has made you well. At that very moment, the woman became well. Matthew chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. We need to learn to acquire this level of faith instead of being beaten up by pastors, preachers, and teachers about how we lose and will lose our salvation, going to heaven. How we are so not going to heaven if we do not fill in the blank here. You know how these pastors, preachers, and teachers teach this way. However, in contradiction to this thinking, a very thought is seen by God as faith. Look at verse 21 again. It says, She thought. Her faith was only a mere thought of touching the clothes of Christ, and she would be healed. Brothers and sisters, faith, belief, faith believing is really that simple if it is coupled with action to carry out that thought. She thought, and then she acted. She found Jesus and touched his clothes, like she thought, and she was healed like she thought. The rest of Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, tells us how to live our life in Christ. Verse 23 continues, Without being moved from the solid foundation of the hope that the good news contains. Some translations use being settled in the hope. Let us again see what commentary has to say. Grounded on a firm foundation. Reference Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, where the same word occurs. And settled, firm, as a building is that is founded on a rock. Matthew chapter 7, verse 25. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel by the arts of philosophy and the allurements of sin. Barnes New Testament Notes. We will follow these references and commentary, starting with Ephesians. Then Christ will live in you through faith. I also pray that love may be the ground into which you sink your roots and on which you have your foundation. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17. Again, another powerful statement, also with a really good visual analogy. Notice the first sentence in verse 17. It is the continuation of a thought found in the context. 
I'm asking God to give you a gift from the wealth of His glory. I pray that He would give you inner strength and power through His Spirit. Then Christ will live in you through faith. I also pray that love may be the ground into which you sink your roots and on which you have your foundation. This way, with all of God's people, you will be able to understand how wide, long, high, and deep His love is. You will know Christ's love, which goes far beyond any knowledge. I am praying this so that you may be completely filled with God. Glory belongs to God, whose power is at work in us. By this power, He can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory belongs to God in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time and eternity. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. In the Gospels, we read a parable about building a house on a rock or on shifting sand. We know the rock is Jesus. I would like to pose the notion that this Ephesians passage gives a bit more definition of the rock. Ephesians suggests, in an analogous form, this rock is beneath God's love, that rock being the good news, the gospel. Like many foundations of biblical times, it is below the surface of the ground. The Wailing Wall in Israel is one physical example. It has inside it, below ground level, a 14-foot, approximately 4.3 meters, tall, 8.5-foot, approximately 2.6 meters wide, and approximately a 60-foot, approximately 18.29 meters long rock block as a foundation. This is the approximate dimensions for a tractor-trailer rig with the cab hooked to the trailer. The total width of the whaling wall above ground is 1,601 feet or 488 meters. With laser measurement across that great width, they have been able to qualify the wall is only off-center by one-half inch, or 13 millimeters, end-to-end. This is over thousands of years of floods, disastrous storms, and earthquakes, and it's only off by 13 millimeters. I make this point to analogize. The fact is, the Wailing Wall Foundation is about 17 meters underground, or 55.8 feet underground. The book of Ephesians said we need to sink our roots into the ground to be on the foundation of love. I also pray that love may be the ground into which you sink your roots and on which you have your foundation. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. This is why I find the connection to the foundation of the wailing wall a good one. Also, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23 said, In part, continue in faith without being moved 
from the solid foundation of the hope that the good news contains. Like the wailing wall has a deep foundation rock, so too the good news is that deep foundation rock for our roots to sink through God's love, that soil you sink your roots into, so to solidly affix your foundation on the good news, the gospel. Our second reference from commentary was, The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, but it did not collapse, because it had been founded on rock. Matthew chapter 7, verse 25. Let us see this verse in context. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, but it did not collapse because it had been founded on rock. Everyone who bears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, and it collapsed, and it was utterly destroyed. Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27. Commentary makes some interesting conclusions here as follows. Suddenly, when we think we are in safety, the heavens may be overcast, the storm may lower, and calamity beat upon us. In a moment, health, friends, comfort may be gone. How desirable then to be possessed of something that the tempest cannot reach. Such is an interest in Christ, attention to his words, reliance on his promises, confidence in his protection, and a hope of heaven through his blood. Earthly calamities do not reach these, and, possessed of religion, all the storms and tempests of life may beat harmlessly around us. Please note, possessed of religion means our faith in Christ. In the day this commentary was written, this was understood. Continuing, there is another point in this comparison. The house built on the sand is beat upon by the floods and the rains. Its foundation gradually is worn away. It falls and is borne down the stream, and it is destroyed. So falls the slumber. The floods are wearing away his sandy foundation, and soon one tremendous storm shall beat upon him, and he and his hopes shall fall, forever fall. Out of Christ, perhaps having taught them to others in the Sunday school, perhaps having been the means of laying the foundation on which others shall build for heaven, he has laid for himself no foundation, and soon an eternal tempest shall beat around his naked soul. How great will be that fall! What will his emotions when sinking forever in the flood and destined forever to live and writhe in the peltings of that ceaseless storm that shall beat when God shall rain snares, fire, and a horrible tempest upon the wicked? Barnes New Testament Notes it is important to take away from this how sure our foundation is. 
It is also important to note that the rock is beneath the soil of God's love, just like that foundation rock in the wailing wall. So, too, is our foundation rock. We need to find that rock and build on it. Anything else is sinking sand. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, the sand is our flesh, our will, our self, and all that we are taught in an unsaved home and life. When sand is repeatedly wet and then dry, it is deceptively hard and feels like rock. However, as commentary points out, it's the big storms of life that will shake and ruin to utter destruction. Just such a foundation. It is this foundation, if we build a spiritual life on it, we will find uncertainty and fear since it will not weather the storms when they come. And they will come. I tell you the solemn truth. The one who hears my message and believes the one who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the solemn truth. A time is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, thus he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he has granted the Son authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out, the ones who have done what is good to the resurrection resulting in life, and the ones who have done what is evil to the resurrection resulting in condemnation. I can do nothing on my own initiative. Just as I hear, I judge, and as my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. John chapter 5 verses 24 through 30. You should note how much this sounds like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. Then came the feast of the dedication in Jerusalem. It is winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple area in Solomon's portico. The Jewish leaders surrounded him and asked, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I told you, and you do not believe. The deeds I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you refuse to believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. My Father and I are one. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. These two verses in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, should profoundly dissolve any and all uncertainty of one's salvation and whether one is or is not 
going to heaven. When we are saved, we are in Jesus' hand and the Father's hand. They will have eternal life. They will not perish. And twice it says, no one can snatch them, one from the hand of Jesus and one from the hand of the Father. What safer place can our eternal life and rest be? What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who will condemn? Christ is the one who died, and more than that, he was raised. Who is it at the right hand of God, and who also is interceding for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble, will distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we encounter death all day long, and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. In the last two verses of this Romans passage alone, we should find great comfort and surety in our salvation, and going to heaven being as solid as the rock foundation in Ephesians, that rock foundation under the wailing wall. Please refer to our podcast episode titled, How to Be Saved, for more on being saved. You will find it at the bottom of our episode listings. Next week, we will learn how to tarry one hour. When he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, he said to Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? Matthew 26, verse 40. Next week, we will learn if we too can tarry one hour in prayer. So often many wish they could pray more, but frustratingly find they cannot. Join us next week for another great episode from the Church of the Unchurched. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. We are very happy to announce our new presence on Spotify. You can find us on Spotify by using the site link at the bottom of our episode description, starting with our episode posted on January 27, 2019. Use our direct short link or our Spotify search page link, both found at the bottom of our episode description. No matter how you search for us on Spotify, use the search phrase, Church of 
the un-churched. The Church of the Unchurched welcomes all our Spotify listeners. Thanks again to all our listeners and followers. We post our podcasts on unchurched-community.podomatic.com www.podcasts.com That is podcast with an S podcasts.com iTunes and Spotify.com every Sunday. Our podcast feed is now found on unchurched.site123.me and refreshed every Sunday. We are also found on tunein.com and stitcher.com. If you are visiting for the first time, please return again at one of the aforementioned sites or how you found our podcast today. Be sure to share our podcast with family and friends. In a web browser, you can simply copy the page link and pass it on. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners, followers, and new listeners. Please feel free to comment, follow, or rate our podcast episodes. This helps us better know what you would like to hear. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled Introduction About Us, Who We Are, Revised, a listen. You will find it at the bottom of our episode listings. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. You can also find us on the web with a mobile, tablet, and desktop-compliant website. We have a subdomain hosted at site123.com. Our site link is unchurched.site123.me. E. Here you will find additional information we cannot readily post on our podcast host due to limited space and format. Please stop by the House of Supernatural Encounters to encounter God in a way you may have not in a long time. If you are looking to encounter God, you will find Him here. Even if you are unsaved and seeking, you too will find the supernatural God. Join us starting at 10 a.m. Sunday mornings at Stowe Brook, 636 Great Road, number 6. Great Road is Route 117 in Stowe, Massachusetts. We are located at the far end of the building, away from Great Road, through the entry door upstairs. Come and join us if you live in Stowe, live nearby, or are passing through. Encounter the supernatural God with us. We look forward to meeting you. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Until next week, this is Brother John for the Church of the Unchurched.